Opening up new buildings, we're knocking down the old. We're working in the summer heat and in the winter cold. And labor power, we sell me boys for a hard and weekly pay. Produces mighty profits for the greedy MBA. And whether we were born here or born in Italy, in Greece, in Spain, or Ireland, in England, or Fiji, we all of us are workers united, we must stand until the wealthy bludgers have been driven from our land. Welcome to Creatures of the Industry, an ongoing series of oral history interviews with the people who made the building and construction industry in Melbourne and regional Victoria since the 1960s. These podcasts are sponsored by the Concrete Gang in cooperation with Community Radio 3CR. And break a couple of concrete pores to back our lug of claims. So keep your powder dry and hold your head up high. It's glass to glass and face to face, our limit is the sky. We've got a fighting history and we never will be cowed. And it's uh, a very warm welcome to uh, some people in the studio today who are going to talk about the industry and uh, particularly the contract scaffolding section of the industry. And it's a very good morning to a doyen of the contract scaffolding uh, fraternity, the one and only Peter Welsh, Acker the Bone. And with us, we also have, well, almost, almost scaffolding royalty. Three generations of the McGaw family have been in the industry. Good morning, horse. And uh, we've also got with us a uh, bloke who's been around a long time, Mick Cody, Mitchie. Morning, who, Ralph. Who uh, has uh, done his time on the uh, on the belt and uh, in a number of other capacities over the years. So, what I'd like to start off with is with Peter. And when did you first come into the industry, Peter? Oh, Jesus! In the seventies. In the seventies. Yeah. You're older that... than me, so you must have started late, did you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and where did you start? Oh, I really started with uh, ARP Crow. Oh, yeah. Down at um, Canterbury Road, a labourer, Brookies labourer, on a brick wall. And then when we finished that, we went up to the union office to see if we... Pat Maloney was our boss up there, and we tried to see if there was any jobs. When we got up there, Patty said, I've got a job straight away for you. He said, down the oil refinery. That was down at Altona Oil Refinery. And we started there, I think I was stayed there for about maybe two or three years. And then I went and worked on the scaffold for uh, Big Ben over in Racecourse Road in Flemington. And from there I uh, stayed in, in the scaffolding industry the rest of my life. Well, you started off as a <coughs> refractory bricklayer's labourer. Yeah. And uh, tough game. Yeah. And uh, that company that you've mentioned, Crows, uh, no longer exist, I don't think. Oh, I think they're still going. Do they? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, they, we they, they do the uh, insulation with that yeah. fire. Well, yeah. to be uh, brutal, it was a uh, tough gig because I worked for them myself. Did you? <laughs> yeah, down at Esso at uh, Western Port. Yeah. And uh, it was hot and dirty and it was not the greatest yeah, job going around. the best around. to work for. Uh, and Daz, uh, how did you start? Oh, probably I was a bricky slave and I just got a job. My brother worked for um, the major, so about 1980 I got to start with them. Then after that... Uh, Speak up, Darrell, will uh, you? After that, <laughs> I got a job with GKN. Quick job with GKN, Ooh. which we'll wake up at a time. Yes, uh, so you got in at the top shelf, did you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when was that? In the 80s. In the 80s, yeah, early 80s. And... Mick, when did you come in and uh, where did you start? Uh, I started in the early 70s as a, as a Brickies labourer. Started with Georgie O'Halloran. Yeah, I know. Uh, and uh, 
cut me teeth there. I met a bloke called uh, Joe Muldoon while I was working for O'Halloran. He ran a bit of the labour, and um, it wasn't too long before uh, I ran out of work uh, and then started with a, a rogue called Ray Styles. So Ray Styles oh. was a, a very well-known bricklayer at the time. Uh, you, you had to be pretty hard and tough to work for Ray. The, uh, the way that he provided uh, refreshment or, or uh, looked after the curling was you had to jump into the 44-gallon of water to get cool on a hot day. Uh, that was about it. Your, your, your water came out of a canvas bag and you sat your ass on a, a bag of cement at Smoker. Uh, pretty tough and hard. That was the early 70s. And uh, it wasn't long before uh, I took up the role of uh, putting uh, the scaffold up for the brickies because that was uh, a bit less labour-intensive. So I jumped onto that and saw an opportunity to move into the scaffold companies and uh, I got the mail from a pub, the famous Young and Jackson's, where all the Cyclone boys used to frequent on a Thursday and Friday. So off I toddled down to Port Melbourne and uh, uh, Ray Pollock give me a gig, uh, Ronnie Pollock, give me a gig down there. And that's where I started, in the scaffold. wasn't too long before I heard on the grapevine uh, that uh, Big Ben was a much more user-friendly company. Old Cyclone was uh, pretty tough and hard. Uh, you know, all the Poms, all the Scots, Joe Doherty, Paddy Steadman. You know, you had uh, the real old grafters. Uh, they were in charge of the labour there. It was all unionised. There was a, a, a great culture. There was a lot of camaraderie. And uh, if you weren't, uh, you know, we Johnny Darby, Johnny Tracy, I can name them all. If you didn't like a drink, because uh, you, you, you had to like a drink to be part of the gang, uh, <laughs> you weren't in the gang. But, uh, no, it was a great industry. And uh, one of the most vivid memories was... Uh, we're working on the board of works at the time was one of the biggest jobs in Melbourne, and uh, before the facade started yeah, falling off, exactly, exactly. <laughs> came, we came back to actually build a scaffold around the the uh, entire building so that they could put the facade back on. Actually, and uh, drinking in uh, Y and J's one Thursday night, and a bloke came in the in the doorway, and everybody seemed to know the bloke. It was like royalty, you know. Teddy Moles was all over him. Peter Hurst back, uh, Ivor Cornforth, they were all over him like a rash. And the bloke's name was Johnny Cummins. So he said, "Listen, boys, there was about ten of us drinking there." He said, "Listen, boys, we got to go up to the Australia Hotel. There's a bloke called Johnny Driver, is involved in a council election." And we need uh, a few blokes to come up and support uh, Johnny Driver. I didn't know this bloke, Johnny Cummins. I didn't know Johnny Driver. But up we went and we signed uh, and we supported Johnny Driver. And he happened to win uh, a council election of the day. And that that actually was uh, one of the smartest things I ever did because... uh, I, I then knew who Cumbo was, and and that was uh, my little start in the industry and being uh, being uh, a union member and uh, being included. It was uh, it was the start of it. Thanks, Ralph. Well, we've all got something in common because Johnny Cummins was a uh, important part of the contract scaffolding game for a very long time. But it was a tough game back when it started, and Peter, you ended up basically. Setting up a company. Yeah. You were one of the four subcontractors who yeah, uh, were allowed by the BLF in those days yeah. to uh, p- provide labour to the companies that supplied scaffold. So you want to talk about that because that was a that's a pretty interesting time. Yeah, that was uh, Big Ben. I was a subcontractor to Big Ben and I'd done their work for them. But another part of that was that they already had a, a subcontractor so what I said to the blokes, I said to them, well, we've got to go out by ourselves completely supply and erect. So I bought some scaffold and paid it off and then paid it off and then got as much as I could and then I started off in a little yard in Flemington, a shed type of thing. And as the, as the building industry went along, 
the scaffolding companies grew better and the more work for the scaffolders. And then later on again, I got a block of land on the railway line to put my stuff outside Fairfield Station. And I said to, to Carl Mill, I said, well, we've got a shift for me, Carl, because we can't load or unload the trucks because of the traffic was near the railway gate. So then I shifted from there up to Preston and we hired a, a, a warehouse, come warehouse. And then it, it just kept going and going. And then later on, I went to um, Sydney to do a job for... Um, Delta. Delta Demolition, the scaffold illegal in general. And the main contractor up there for the building was Grollo. Yep. And we'd done a job there, and when we finished, they asked us, could we stay and do another job out at Parramatta? So we'd done another job out there. The boys were getting a bit homesick by this time. So what we did... We uh, set up a couple of blokes that lived up there and set them up to take over and work directly for for Grollo and Delta, and we come back home. I think there's all years know the story from there on about how many jobs we've done. Well, with the uh, other contract uh, subbies, who were your main competitors in those days? (coughs) The main competitors? None. Well, there you go, folks. You heard it first. Skyline were the biggest and they were the best. Yep. But some of the suppliers also had their own gangs, obviously, but uh, who were the next subcontractors who uh, were allowed to operate? Pat Deary. Yep. Uh, SGB. SGB, yeah. yeah. Howard Motion and his gang. Yeah. Uh, Scaffolds are us. Yep. They come in at a later stage. But uh, the uh, industry's full of them now. Yeah, well, that's right. But uh, in terms of the suppliers, there probably wasn't that many suppliers around, was there? No, we we done the first birdcage scaffold for uh, Quick Stage when they came into Melbourne. It was mm. the uh, job was on the corner of Albert Road, Freemasons. We birdcaged that. That was the first big job. The Quick Stage was brought into the industry. And we put it up. So what years was Quick Stage first introduced? Because it became the preferred uh, form of scaffold after basically tube and fit had been premier product for many, many years and then the Quick Stage came in through GKN Mills, if I remember yeah, the full name. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Exactly. And when was that? Oh, I can't remember, Ralph. Early, early 80s? Yeah. No, no, I'd say early 70s. Mid- yeah, probably. But... Before that, what other modular scaffold was in the industry? Uh, uh, um, rapid metal. Yeah. I think they're the only one that ever had, yeah. our, um, had a scaffolding. Modular. Yeah. Modular scaffolding. Yeah. But tube and fit, for all of you, was still part of the game? Yeah. Wasn't yep. just wasn't yep. just in the uh, refineries and so on. The, the big jobs uh, were all tube and fit. Everything yeah. was tube and fitness. It was it was either cyclone fitness or or mills fitness, yeah. a much a much more robust, uh, heavier fitting. Oh. <laughs> when I say heavy, I mean heavy. Yeah. <laughs> Throwing that up to the next bloke in the jo- in the chain was a bit of a problem. That that fitting was bad in the end. Yeah, yeah. the big double from uh, from mm. oral well, it was cyclone then because you couldn't see the uh, the boss. Screwed yeah. into the mill, yeah. so they uh, yeah, they got rid of them and then they brought the other double in. Yeah, and if people listening don't quite understand what we're talking about, tube and fit is in fact pipes tied together with right angle and swivel joiners, and uh, it's put together, measured out, levelled up, and all the rest of it, and. Unlike Manually. modular form, which just slots together and you just keep adding to it. Yeah. Everything, everything was done manually. So right from the ground up, uh, each lift was measured, uh, it was marked, and it was all installed completely manually. Yep. Every You worked off one plank, your fittings were thrown from the ground, either, either hand over hand or as you got higher in a bag. Hey. Everything was on a Jen and wi- Jenny and yeah. wheel. Yep. Uh, there was a groundy and there was uh, two or three, depending on the job, work, working up top. You did your grounding. You, you, you never got off the ground until you uh, knew what you were doing. 
That's the way you you learnt for sure, yep. but yep. also might describe how it was up on the working platform. Well, the one or two planks that you were working on. Uh, twelve foot planks. Yeah, twelve foot wooden planks. Yep. You had to pass them up. Hand yep. over hand. Yep. Hand over hand. And you didn't tie them down, did you? Oh, no. sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Safety was a bit slack around about that time. Oh, really? Yeah. Yes, well, it was only in the uh, 70s, I'll remind you gentlemen, that the uh, Department of Labor and Industry introduced scaffold tickets. You actually had to yep. have a ticket of competency. Yes. Yep. So where did you get your tickets of competency? Who taught you? I went to oh, the yeah. union. Union one, 16-week course. I got a week down around the corner. Of where, it first, where it first started was uh, there was uh, the painters and decorators in Flinders Lane issued... Uh, you had to go and do your training, and they issued you with uh, the qualification. But that incorporated demonstrating uh, that you could apply scaffold. And some of the tasks that you might remember were, uh, you know, hand over hand, uh, placing a 20-foot tube vertically on a joining pin, uh, working off one or two planks. Above your waist. Above your waist. <laughs> So it wasn't all beer and Skittles, let me tell you. Yeah, it was hard. Well, I remember my course was out at Swinburne and it was conducted by the Chief Scaffold Inspector, Mr Roberts. Alan Roberts. Alan yeah. Roberts, yes. And I've he, still got a photo of him in my office. And he uh, wanted to know what you'd done in yep. the previous week because you had to have a buddy book. Uh, signed yep. off yep. as to all the, f- the functions that you had performed. And uh, if I remember correctly, there was one, two, three, and four scaffold. That, and uh, I, I reckon three. One, two, and three. Swings were two. Yeah. Well, cover ways. Uh, well, yes. C1, C2, and C4. Yeah. Basic scaffold. Yep. You drop scaffolds. Yep. Candlelevered scaffolds. Yep. Yes. Swing stages. Yep. And your bosun's chairs. Yeah, yeah you're spot on. Yeah, well done. And uh, it was basically a case of turning up, doing the course, and primarily what they were interested in is what you actually did practically, what you'd done before and what you were doing as you did the course. And uh, it was a bit rough and ready, but you had people who actually knew about scaffolding going around and checking up on you. Yeah, spot on. Yeah. And... Uh, Sailor Bill Brougham was Gordon the... Uh, Gordon Jen. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They were all the scaffold inspectors that went round and checked up on you. Before, yeah. And they had to sign off before you got a ticket of competency. Nowadays, you can do a uh, two-day course at, so, at some so-called registered uh, training uh, providers and uh, off you go. And uh, I am amazed. There was a lot of rules with the tube and fittings. Yep. The vertical and the joint pin is not to exceed more than one foot above the, the ledger or, or the handrail yep. because of the height. But some could lift it up five feet and some can't. Some could, exactly. Yeah. And, so. and I think all, all of that, you know, <laughs> some of the changes in the industry, I think in those days, the majority of jobs... You got in pubs. If you if you if you didn't get a, a, a job or a referral uh, in a pub, you didn't get a job. You know, I think uh, Peter's organisation for me to get a job with Big Pen, I had to front out to the United Kingdom Hotel, <laughs> and then it was a, a bit of initiation of who knew you, uh, what you could and couldn't do, uh, and if you were a bit of a charlatan, you lasted five minutes because you could either do it or you couldn't. So if, if you were starting in the industry, cutting your teeth, you were a groundie, you were a hard worker. Yeah. And, and as you went along, and, and you worked from the ground up with the scaffold, so height became just an issue that you worked with, you know. It wasn't something that uh, you feared or, or you, you didn't take to because you worked up with the scaffold. And um, like I say, uh, in, in those days, it was uh, there were no CVs, there were no interviews. 
you just you went along and you either had a job or you didn't. Yeah. Some of the jobs that you did in those days, Peter, were uh, I can remember uh, working erecting a, a stage for uh, out at the showgrounds for Slade. That's it, Slade. Yeah, and we were, a runner. We were. Yeah, they did a runner. Forgot <laughs> to pay you. <laughs> a beautiful naughty old and uh, out at uh, out at Kuyong, erecting uh, the stage out there for the for the sound blow when they uh, when they exceeded the, the noise limit in the area to all the finery out there in Kuyong and Turak. Uh, we put up the uh, the stage for uh, Pink Floyd at, at the time. Uh, Rolling Stones, the Rolling Stones. Uh, I think uh, there was a there was a fight out there. Um, Might have been uh, Lionel Rose and Alan Rudkin. That was it. We uh, done that. We did. We did that as well. Yeah. So they were some of the things you did. The other things that you did were uh, erecting uh, little scaffolds for camera crews around all of the football grounds. My, my music bowl. My music bowl. Right. You did that, but but all of the football grounds and the golf. And the golf that were golf. televised. We all got free tickets into the golf, into the Masters, <laughs> into the drinking tent with, with uh, John Elliott and all the, all the finery. But uh, if you got into, uh, as I happened to be lucky enough to get into uh, Kevin Murray's gang, you did the football grounds and, you, and you, were, you were sent out to Essendon and Fitzroy and Collingwood to erect a, a, a little camera stand. Uh, and they were they were the the pink eye jobs, weren't they? Peter? They were the pink eye jobs. <laughs> right, I will put your sunglasses back on. And uh, but in those days, I would have thought that uh, one of the things that was absolutely crucial was the gang. Yes. When you made a gang, as you just mentioned, Mick. When you made a gang, you stayed in that gang. That's it. And right. you knew. You correct me if I'm wrong. You knew what the other blokes in your gang were capable of. Yeah. You knew their strengths, you knew their weaknesses, and they knew yours, and you made it work as a gang. It wasn't individuals. Exactly. I, ne- I never ever employed a bloke to go up on the scaffold if, if, if he was frightened of heights. Mm. I put him on the ground and said, get your bearings, watch what do you do, come up here with us, and we'll look after you. Yeah. That was very much the way it was. I mean, you quite rightly said, uh, Ralph, you, you were a part of a gang and there was that camaraderie in the industry and not only in the gang but in the whole organisation and, and scaffold companies knew each other and you knew the highs and lows. You know, there were, uh, you know, there were, there were some leading lights from, from different companies. You know, everybody knew uh, Handsome, Nolly Haynes, Carl Mueller... Some of the leading lights, you know, and you knew the blokes from Cyclone, uh, the the Poms, you know, you knew uh, Mickey Lloyd. Yeah, Mickey Lloyd. You employed Mickey Lloyd and and uh, Howard Mason and and uh, Alan Colson and Joe Johnny Canning. Johnny, Johnny Canning. No, Johnny Canning never worked for me. No, for for Cyclone. Yeah, for Cyclone. Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah, Terry Fee. You employed mm. him. Yeah. Dennis uh, Robinson. He was our best friend. Dennis Robinson. Oh, there's a lot of names Johnny there. Darby. You know, we could go on and on. But uh, but everybody looked after one another. Yeah, for you sure. Know, if, for you sure. Could, if you had a, a party that night and it was a bit under yep. the weather, I wouldn't let them start work. We'd put them in the shit. they sit in there, you get paid for it, don't worry, but I'm not going to work you. Stay there until knock-off time and go home and get paid. I can't take the risk of you getting up there and being full of beer or whatever and fall off and get hurt, seriously hurt, how do they go I feel? So that's one of my rules. What about um, getting together us at Christmas time, uh, uh, Peter, when the holiday pay was handed out? What what went on there, mate? Well, if you had if you had accrued uh, sick leave and you had, a, say, four or five days or five, six days... And they had short time to get a full pay over the Christmas period. I used to pay them. Of course, I'd ask them to if you want them, yep. I'll pay you the yours, and yep. that'll help to get that full pay for Christmas. Yep. And and it worked out you know, very good. So, watch how I had to do. I had to put them off. Yeah. I had, I had to say that I'll get the uh, 
write on the books because if I just paid and their name would still stay on the books and they wouldn't get the money. So we got the sick leave, put them off, paid on their sick leave. We were ready to start back after Christmas. We were back together and get going. So one of the things that he's trying to explain was in relation to sick leave, so mm. if you had accumulated sick leave and you were coming up to Christmas and you had sick leave in the bank, you were finished up at Christmas and started off on a level playing field with no sick days. And that quite regularly Both happened sickies, every yeah. year. Give you sickies, you know, mate. Until, until yeah. such time as blokes like Peter and Big Ben, there was a cumulative sick leave. And we went out for some time to get that. But Six that, weeks. Yeah, but that was one part of the, the industry that, that he was instrumental in forming. But so what I was trying to mention uh, at holiday pay, the Big Ben system was that you were paid three weeks pay a year. That was paid to you at the yard over at Newmarket where everybody assembled on break-up day for a barbecue and a drink. Uh, at the end of that there happened to be a swy game in the yard. So you were paid your holiday pay and then you were party to a swy game. If you got home with your holiday pay, uh, you're a very lucky bloke. And there'd be 20 or 30 blokes <laughs> around that ring and they, were, they weren't betting in zacks and trays, let me tell you. There was plenty of money at those swy games, Peter. Yeah. So this has led me to think about what's changed in the industry and the contract scaffolding sector in particular. What's changed over the years? And uh, Every deck deck down, every yeah. lift deck down would be, be the best one they've got. So in yep. terms of procedures for the erection and dismantling of scaffold, that's the biggest change. Yes, and the best. And the best. And a double hand roll. It used to be a double, double hand roll. Yep. Double handrail, a handrail as you go. You know, the, some of the safety implementations in this day and age, you know, the ability bracing as you go, you know, in the old days, that was all done at the end of the day, you know, and, and it wasn't done off planks, let no. me tell you. <laughs> if you get up at the top, you're working up at the top, just climb up the stack scaffold. No way no, no, doesn't have to climb up on board. But you, you, you were right, Peter, the full deck. Full deck. That was, that was the biggest implementation of safety in my, in my time. Well, in terms of actual incidents which resulted in serious injury or death, let's do a comparison between what it was like 40 years ago and what it's like today. What do you reckon? Mm. Has it changed? Has it improved? I mean, well, clearly there are, as you've said, there are things that have made work safer but are people still getting injured? Are people getting killed? Has the industry fundamentally improved or is it all showing no, not much go? No, it's improved. Yep. Yeah, definitely. I think definitely. Definitely improved. And I think statistics will tell you that. And, and of course, you know, it's just, it's evolved. As we were discussing, you know, you go from tube and fitness to modular scaffold. And, and all that incorporates uh, the safety factor in that, you know. The method of building it is safer. The, the, actual, uh, the actual distribution of the components is safer. So, so the whole thing is safer. There's no doubt about that. However, I, I don't think, you know, the, the thing they provided back in those days, it might have been fairly primitive, but they, they provided their own control measures. You know, you would not get anybody putting anybody in a position of harm or danger. But the risks that you had to take were absolutely more dangerous than they are in the industry today. Horse, what do you reckon? Oh, Your experience is... Well, it's, more safe, it's more safety orientated now. It's, it used to go up on a, a demolition job, 15, 15 storeys up. you just take two decks of boards up with you. That was it. And then you come down, you put the shake off on steel, you walk around the steel wouldn't you put the shake yeah. off on, you know what I mean, you're looking down and so it's more, and they used to have a single hand roll until someone fell through that single hand roll and died when they got hit on the head with a standard in Collins Street? Yes, in yep. Collins Street and they bring in a double hand roll pass yeah. it down, so it used to be a single hand roll, I, I don't even think we had hand rolls for ourselves, only when we got up the top. Never ever worked beyond a hand roll. And you'd work on three planks just pass it up. I'm not a great lover of Putting shade cloth on that scaffold. Yeah, the wind's a killer. It's too dangerous. 
And what other changes do you reckon have been introduced that have been worthwhile? I mean, full full decking and Definitely. double handrails and so on. But that's also a question, I suppose, about the Department of Labor and Industry now WorkSafe. Have they played a positive role or have they just complicated the issue oh, in terms of actually the practicalities of putting up and pulling down a scaffold? Yes. They've got a lot better. They've got a lot better? Yes. We used to be one bloke going around the Department of Labor, Tracy. Well, the, 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 the boys that put the scaffolds up in the city are done properly. It's the ones in the outer suburb. Yes. Yeah. They're the ones you've got to watch. So-called domestic uh, yeah. touchwood. And then you've got to put your lifts in where you've got to put them in, but it's in the city. It's very well controlled. Now, in terms of the industry... We'll have a talk in a minute about uh, the changes that have taken place, but maybe uh, have not been such a great idea. But uh, first of all, I've got to play a little jingle. You're listening to Creatures of the Industry on Community Radio 3CR. Yes, you're indeed on 3CR, Compliments of the Concrete Gang, and we're talking to The Bone, Horse and Mickey. Minji. Minji, sorry. I've never known you to have that nickname in all the years, but never mind. We're talking about change, not just in Scaffold, but also in the industry at large. Have there been changes which uh, have not been such a success that maybe uh, have been a waste of time or adversely affected how work has actually performed in the industry? Got any thoughts on that? Well, I think think, uh, that the regulators and uh, what they've done in relation to so-called controlling health and safety, I think, has, has really been a step backwards. It, it's just uh, they're put in place, uh, you know, institutions like the ABCC, and uh, they're put in place to try and stifle or control unions and control some of the benefits that are produced and provided by unions. Safety is really not a... one priority. It's not a priority. It's not a part of it. You know, the way that they they enter a building site, the way that they they question people, you know, the the whole thing is intimidatory. It, it, It is actually... It is actually harms the industry and actually divides rather than if you see when when even in those early days early even in those primitive days the thing was that people worked as a collective they provided a safe workplace for each other some of the 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 camaraderie and the and the relationships that were built over those years you know are still in place today And, and the regulator and all of those controls that have been put in place have done absolutely nothing in relation to the safety. The statistics that are forged are all industry-driven from the unions, from the workplace. They are, they are done from organisations, from the workforce, from the workers. They, they see the risk. They see the control measures... They actually apply them and, and utilise them to benefit those stakeholders and workers in the industry. Yeah. Peter? Yeah, I'll go along with that, Mick. Yeah, good. That's uh, the one you just said about the planks. Now, in terms of being a subcontractor in scaffolding, but generally, you have been on the receiving end of a fair bit of interference uh, from the, some of these so-called regulators, whether it's the ABCC or the Industrial Advocate yeah. and various other people, but also you've copped a little bit from the uh, MBA over the years too. Oh. <laughs> he was hey? the poster boy. <laughs> hey? yeah. What got you into so much trouble? Oh, I was talking out of school of here. <laughs> when we wanted the rise... I spoke to uh, John Cummings, spoke to me, and Johnny said he could put a big part of it too. And all the, all the union blokes, 
from the BLF at that time asked me to do something and I'd done it. Mm. Is to go up and see Normie Gallagher and I said to Normie, how much is it going to cost to get the boys back to work because a lot of them are suffering. They've got mortgages and paying their houses off and all that. We've got to get them back to work. What's got to be done? He said, somebody's got to pay the rise. I said, you're looking at him. <laughs> so I paid the rise and about three or four days later, all the scaffolds gradually come back to work and away we went. But, but that's how it went. That's how NBA. we got The what? NBA. Yeah. Anyway, that's just a probably, for many people, a little bit of an obscure thing. But that was the negotiations that took place in the industry. Without the Fair Work Act... Without the Arbitration Commission and all the rest of it, there was agreements that were done in the contract scaffolding area for probably, looking back now, from the 1960s. Yep. And Normie Wallace yeah. was yeah. the convener of uh, the contract scaffolding uh, meetings and negotiated the deals with the Contract Scaffold Association which was part of the MBA, I might add, but uh, all of those agreements set the conditions, gang sizes and all that. That was, I would have thought, one of the big changes in the industry, uh, in the sector, in the time that I can remember. And one of the integral parts of that, uh, Ralph, would be uh, the scaffolders, as, the, as it is known, the scaffolders' picnic, that, that meeting that monthly meeting that is oh so important for the distribution of information and keeping standards for the industry, that to this day is just as important as when it first started. Would you agree with that, Pete? Yes, yeah, certainly. Not that you were allowed to come. No. <laughs> no. I knew whatever they wanted. <laughs> I had a shop steward and we all had a, you know, a good relation with one another. And I used to say to them, if you've got any problems, you come and see me in the, and Mark Hunter at the time was there, yep. Stuart. And if we can't sort it out here, then you go up to CFMEU and put your story to them. We'll sort it out from there. And we never, ever, ever had any trouble. Never. Well, Who was your first steward back in the day, Peter? The Welshman, Tony Meany. Oh, <laughs> fucking Tony Meany. <laughs> Kept you honest. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> but just reflecting on those meetings for just a second, you might recall after the deregistration of the BLF, there were two scaffold meetings every month. There were so. Yeah, exactly. Well, actually, right. there was probably three because we met at the uh, Central Club uh, yep. opposite the market and yep. uh, the early opener and uh, then off to the BLF caucus meeting and yeah. then to the BWIU You'd have uh, contract old, scaffold meeting. Old Billy Dylenberg yelling his head off. Yep. We, uh, Big we, Bird, there was a few people <coughs> yeah. there. We had our meetings down at the Master Builders Association yep. down in Albert Street. Under the leadership of uh, David Delacour. Dave, yeah. Yep. But Delicate. He was a great bloke, David Delacour. Yeah. Don't worry about him. Caught him out once. It he was. was uh, Quoting uh, what the scaffold agreement said back in the uh, early 1980s, and uh, it wasn't quite right. And when I showed him his personally autographed copy of it, uh, he had to change position rather quickly. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, that that um, meeting was a big meeting. They had all the, all the hierarchy from each scaffolding company that Project managers were always there, and I can always remember Ted Simmons, old Ted Simmons, he was a project manager from Cyclone. Mm. And he said, or I can remember him saying, every time we come on FNCD, we've never won a bet yet. <laughs> and we're not likely to win one. It's a, it's a matter of getting to the right, the, right, the right path for both parties. Let's settle it, put a proposal what you want to give us and what you don't want to give us because we ain't going to win it. So we've got to, we've got to you know, go along with it. Well, when Normie Wallace reached the uh, end of his service with the BLF, 
Johnny Cummins took over the contract scaffold responsibility and right through the deregistration, the first deregistration into the second deregistration of the BLF, John conducted those uh, contract scaffold meetings and then when uh, he assisted, in fact he probably did more than assist the uh, amalgamation of the BLF into the CFMEU on decent uh, grounds, he then took over responsibility for the CFMEU contract scaffold meetings and uh, they have continued in the agreement and they have continued as a practicality, subject of course to COVID-19, ever since. So maybe you uh, should also uh, reflect on your role with John and the contract scaffold agreement and the changes in the rates and all the rest of it because methinks, as John would say, that you were well and truly implicated (laughs) because the calculations of the new rates used to get done out at your yard. Exactly. With lovely Diane. They were a forerunner to uh, pay rises, to conditions that were implemented right throughout the industry (laughs) and they were started on the back of Johnny Cummins and those scaffold meetings. Yep. That's where they that's where they were given birth. I was going up Nicholson Street one day, Carl Mueller and me and Brett Fisher was in the car and Johnny Cummins rung rung me up. I said, Yeah, what do you want, John? He said, I'd like you to come up to the union office. I said, I've got the pen in my hand, he said. <laughs> <laughs> so here or I come around. And what's his name? He said, you're not going to sign that, you're not going to sign that. I said, listen, we're going to do it. So John's just read it out. Yeah, OK, sign it, pass it. And then I got thrown out of, the, out of the... That's when they got rid of me out of the... MBA. MBA, 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 MBA. Yeah. But it was... Well, it all works out all right in the end. But in terms of contract <laughs> scaffolding, um, what has possibly changed a little bit is the informal uh, way of doing business. Sure, you've made a few uh, suggestions that uh, it was done under pressure and all the rest of it, but that's the nature of industrial relations. But my memory, and you were a key part of it, was that the subbies actually got together and talked. Yes. And the conversation uh, was probably pretty robust, and uh, some of the suppliers the big ones, Borrells and that, who took over Cyclone, were not necessarily uh, concerned about the industry. Most of the people, I would say, who sat around that table as subcontractors and who, like yourself, negotiated with the union of whatever, whatever tag it had at the time, but with the union and the contract scaffolders were people who came out of contract scaffolding. Yes. They weren't blow-ins who had never done scaffolding in their lives. They actually were creatures of the industry. Yes. Good, bad or indifferent, they were in the industry, they stayed in the industry. And I just think that maybe that under pressure from, one, the nature of industrial relations now where you've got to have EBAs in place and all the rest of it as opposed to informal agreements, the pressures that apply from the regulators like the ABCC and so on. That has changed. There are more corporates yes. involving themselves yes. in scaffolds than there used to be. Yeah. And I'm not sure that that has been a good outcome for the contract scaffolding sector as such. The face of the stakeholders has definitely changed, you know, as, as you quite rightly said. They came from nuts and bolts, scaffold companies, scaffold hands that worked their way up into uh, running these subcontracting companies, and they were all part of. They cut their teeth in the industry. Now you've got you've got corporates, you've got bureaucrats, and and you know it, it's it, it's a money making machine now. It's it's changed dramatically. So if it's not cost effective, it it doesn't fly with them. You know, it's all about the demon dollar. So in that regard, the industry has changed, definitely changed, and it's become a plus or minus, a numbers game. Peter, what do you think? It's oh, there's it's some things here I didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> Very diplomatic. I can't understand. Just give you an idea. Over the paper mills, right? Mm. 
as you go across the bridge, there's two big scaffolds, big, big, big scaffolds. One gets one right, and this one here gets one right. How does that happen? Well, that's the nature of the changes in the Fair Work Act, and once upon a time everyone was covered by the award and you, add, and you added to it. Now the award is destroyed, and if there's no EBA, you are on whatever the safety net is under the award. And that, that, I think that's been the major change that has taken place in the industry, which has been a complete disaster. It's two different rates. Yeah. 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 You, can't, you can't operate like that. No. Now, let's just reflect perhaps on some of the personal highlights that you remember out of your time in the industry oh, and some of the people that you've met, some of the incidents, <sighs> some of the disputes, some of the things that have occurred which maybe stick in your mind that maybe don't stick in other people's minds. I can tell you one. I was going to sell my business, right, to another scaffolding company which is still operating now. And Johnny comes come to the yard the day that a week before the, the turnover was going. Yeah, the transaction was going and, to take place. John fight. said to me, he said, if you give this a second thought for you about selling out, I said, yes, John, yes and no. He said... See those 40 blokes there? He said, if you sell out, they haven't got a job. I said, well, I'm going to go on with the scaffolding. And I didn't sell. That was sort of a bloke Cummins, was he? He, he had, you know, he, he knew my weaknesses. <laughs> yeah. But another one I, I did, um, I was had a job out at um, Doncaster Shopping Centre. I was done the first job out there. Those guys come from Sydney. Yep. They were standard corrected there. They, they come over uh, uh, as a former company and we done the first job for a big job through there, so was it? Yeah, there was, there was 60 keys working out there. Yeah. Was I a, was one of them. It was a big job. But apart from that, uh, Albert Jobelin was the shop steward out there. You know, remember The Albert? bread man. The bread man. He said, I just got a, a mate of mine that's coming out of the hothouse. He said, can you give him a job? I said... Yeah, just give me a couple of days to think about it, but it'll be right. So I'll keep Blue was his name. I said, how you going, Blue? He said, I'm going all right. So I paid how you going, right? Come around with a pace. He said, I said, hey, here's your pay, Blue. Sign here. What? He said, anybody sign their name for that? <laughs> He'd give you up. I've never signed, I've never said, signed anything in my life, he, he said. He said, I've never signed anything in my life. <laughs> And I said, now we explained to him, it's just to say that he's got his pay. <laughs> so I had to convince him. I said, it's your pay that you've received it. And the oh, Jesus, there was some Elbridge job on them. Another one I had, well, I've got him on. I wasn't actually trying to trap him, of course. One section of the, uh, the shopping centre was finished and I couldn't find, I forget the name of the couple of blokes, and I was trying to find them. So I thought, I'll go there and there. I went down there, went into the part where it was finishing, yeah, yeah, the chatter and that. And I, <coughs> I go up there and they've got booze on the job, right? So uh, I said, excuse me, I said, you know, no drinking on the job. I said, whose who's booze is this? Remove it from the site and get away. Nobody will claim it. I said, oh, well, if it don't belong to you, I may as well take it. I may as well take it if nobody owns it. They said... Put their hands up, did they? Yeah. I said, look, and I explained to him, that's about all. Pretty good. Well, I've got to say that one of the things that I'd put to you as changed in the industry, which is probably no bad thing, is the fact that we used to drink so much during the day. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, you'd be working on a job and then you'd go to uh, McConnell's, yep. the bar in underneath in Elizabeth Street, have a couple of beers there for an early lunch and then you'd go on to another job and you end up at the Kilkenny, up the top end of King Street. Might start as an early opener. That A lot of that, I'm not it's saying it's completely disappeared, yeah. but that was probably that, that a was very the best good change. One. For sure, for sure. And where you had a limited break halfway through the day and you had to get, let's say, to be uh, candid, uh, six or eight pots in at lunchtime. Easy. And that, that was a drink. That was a decent drink. Let me tell you, you didn't want to be splicing tubes after lunch. Yeah. Well, there's certainly been some 
changes in the industry in terms of contract scaffolding, but the industry generally, and perhaps in terms of industry things, um, what would you say were the biggest improvements that you've experienced in your time? Well, they got clothing, didn't they? Yep. They got the boots and the, the gear to wear. Issue. Yep. Issue. Stretcher yep. accesses. Yeah, access, access is a big one. Uh, the distribution of gear is a big one too. I yes. mean, you know, uh, in this day and age, it, it's provided. You know, the, the distribution of gear is provided, you know, and it's part of the principle or the sub gets it delivered. You know, in, in days gone by, it was, it was dropped on the ground and you had to get it to where you were building it. And in some cases, that wasn't easy. You know, if you're scaffolding a tank at Hastings and and the tank happens to be a half mile round, there was was a lot of gear to walk around a a tank. Now, what about uh, the things that did change in the 80s, despite the deregistration of the BLF? There have been some major changes, superannuation, redundancy. Inkerlink, and and the service provided by Inkerlink is, is second to none, you know, and I think... You, you know, we all understand this industry, that what a dangerous industry it is, and, and mental health issues, and particularly through COVID and other things, you know. Most of the days off. Exactly. 36-hour week. Yep, yep. The RDOs, uh, no certainly, that one of the biggest changes in this yeah, industry. Yeah, no day for it, though. That, that, that's one of the biggest, but certainly those funds, Inkerlink, CBUS, and the way that uh, the way that they're applied, and the and the and the assistance given to the worker in this day and age, that that and, and it's in the construction industry, and that that is word of mouth. You, you go in anywhere, and people know about it. The services that are provided for our industry, and rightly so, being one of the most dangerous uh, industries that you can work in. I worked on a job for a bill that I won't mention the name. EA Watts. It was. Uh, Coming up for the long weekend sort of thing. And I went, went to the blacks and I said, you've got to work, got to work tomorrow. But I said, you've been working seven days a week, you need a break, you know. That's when you start to have accidents. I was at the pub, on the race course pub, and I said to him, if you go to the pub, tell me. He said, you're going to get paid for it anyway. Tell me what you, what you, what you want, but don't come back. If you're going to be drinking, don't come back. Come back tomorrow. Before you go, make sure you leave the scaffold in a safe condition before you go to lunch, right? So that was all right. Then I went to the manager who was there and I said to him and explained to him, he said, oh, we're working seven days a week here, we need a break. And he said, and I explained to him, we've done everything that they had to do for you tomorrow when you come to work. And he was quite happy with that, you know. I'm try- what I'm trying to say is... If you have a good relationship with the builder you're working for, it's a hell of a lot easier for the job to go along. And, and you're saying that the boys weren't coming back after lunch, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I told them. Yeah, of course you would. <laughs> I said, they're not coming back. They've done everything. They've gone to the leading hand and asked them what jobs they want done and told them what, what they were, and that was it. So we're 13 out of 14 days. On a lighter note, Peter, on a lighter note, you're being cast with uh, uh, a reputation of having a wager over the years. I've, I've heard a bit of gossip that uh, going back some time, uh, you might have had a decent bet. Would you like to impart a bit of knowledge to Ralph and the boys? What's the biggest bet you've ever no. had, Peter? No. No? no? Not no. going there? No. Be a few zeros on the end of it, wouldn't there, Pete? It might have been, but no, I don't, don't want to no, 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 we're not going there. No, don't go there. Oh, all right. Oh, well, come I, on. I happened to be at Mooney Valley the day you put 100 grand on a horse. But well, let's was it Mooney? It uh, was it, yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah, listen, the contract scaffolding uh, game's not that re- uh, remunerative. <laughs> you know, come on, we'll just... Now, Peter, you're coming up to your 90th birthday. Uh, yeah. You stayed in the game right up to when? When was when was when you finally? Oh, I had no option. Yeah, it's not a question of the options, but when when did you finally give it away? Oh, about four years ago. Oh, about eight. Was it? Yeah. About, about eight, eight. Well, let's cut the difference and say six. Yeah. Yeah. So about six. So you right into your eighties, you kept working in the industry. Oh, you kept I, your yard. 
Yeah, I'd still been working on it. I had an accident in a, in a, on the road up to the country. My grandson was driving the truck and I was sitting in the front and my daughter and my dog was in the back and, and we were driving along and a, and a, and a fucking big steer jumped out of the paddock and it, it hit the side that I was sitting on and I got hurt. I got my back. I got hurt, really. And from there on, I just went downhill. Well, listen, you're here today. Yeah. Horse brought you in. Yeah. And uh, you've kept going. You didn't, you're a little bit sort of hesitant, but you've kept going. You've kept talking. Is there anything you'd like to reflect on about your time in the industry? Because I think that anyone who's been in the industry as long as you have, who have done as much as you've done, both as an employer, as a worker, and as a friend of workers, yeah, here, yeah. Is there anything you would like to, you know, maybe end the show with in terms of what you reckon about your time in the industry? Probably, probably, Peter, the place that work for you're all friends. Oh all yeah, mates. they're all, all friends. All good workers, always put in. I never had a bad enemy. Oh, I might have not know about it. Master builders, they're all friends. But uh, I love coming to work. Oh, I love coming to work. Yeah. And you didn't mind having a cup of tea with anyone, did you? No. I come <laughs> and have seen you. <laughs> Indeed. I, and, uh, yeah, it's part of my life. Well, maybe, now that you've actually been through this little exercise, uh, we can get you back on uh, some other shows that we're going to do about the industry. Because it might be that... Uh, because it's called Creatures of the Industry, a come saying, which didn't mean you were good or you are bad, yeah. you were just part of the industry. You didn't blow in and blow out. You might want to talk in the future about people and uh, episodes about the industry, and maybe we'll get some uh, subbies in yeah. to have a talk. Yeah. Because uh, they've all got nicknames too, and they're all well known. Yeah, for yeah sure. but you're not allowed to call them nicknames now, you know that, don't you? <laughs> Did you know that? I didn't, Pete. No. No, you're not allowed to. Elaborate. Yeah. <laughs> See, if your name's Jack the Robber or something like that, you can't call him, you've got to call him Jack, I'm going to call you Daryl, call you by your first name. You, you don't, you're not supposed to call them by that. Oh, no. weren't they allowed to call you, Barney? No. <laughs> just, just, it, it, was a, it, was through the, it was through the industry too, don't Ah, uh, well. Anyway, yeah, we was, have... Uh, got towards the end of the show and we could probably talk about different incidents but I hope hopefully we've put together a bit of a show that talks about the industry talks about the contract scaffold sector how it was what's changed and hopefully where it's going yeah and so I'd like to thank you and uh, we'll do it all again maybe in the future and talk yeah. about some other issues to do with scaffolding yeah. thanks Warren just yeah. just quick one when I Delta come from the Trade Valley to Melbourne to, to, to work as a demolition. i done his first job. You mean Con? Con. <laughs> the infamous? Con, Con and I good. good oh, I know. i done the deals over the phone. No contract written out. How yeah, much to do that, Peter? Oh, I'll ring you back in an hour and say, five or six grand, you go and do it. And I never got robbed for one halfpenny off that bloke. Always got paid, and it was a handshake. You have a relationship with Ziggy along the way? Yeah, Ziggy. Yeah, Ziggy. Ziggy went to Sydney with me. Yeah. Well, he, he, he was the, Tommy. He, he was a demolition bloke. Yep. Yeah. Zig, Ziggy's yep. a lovely bloke. Yeah, he's in heaven now, but he was a yeah. good bloke. Yeah, always the funeral, was he? Yeah. Right but uh, most of the... And to finish off, can I ask you a direct question? I'm putting you on the spot. Were you at lunch... With the Catholic Archbishop of Melbourne, and somehow got talked into uh, putting up a scaffold around uh, Star of the Sea in North Melbourne. John got me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed, you got caught, didn't you? Hey, eh? yeah. you had to scaffold that whole church. No, not the whole church. Oh, only the facade. Only the yeah. front. All right, and uh, let's just say that. To finish the show, we had mercy on your soul. And uh, 
We rang around and we got all the other contract scaffold companies to send along a couple of blokes and we pulled it down in one day. Yeah. Yeah. And on that basis, Peter, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Mick. Good on your horse. You have been listening to Creatures of the Industry, an ongoing series of oral history interviews about the building and construction industry in Melbourne and regional Victoria on Community Radio 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.